Father, what a powerful message you give us through the words of the music that we sung this morning as we prepare to gather corporately together to worship. And certainly we understand that worship isn't something we do one hour for a week, but we are created as worshiping creatures. And so I pray that you'd give us a deep understanding of that, that in our relationship to you, that you fill us with your spirit and we walk every moment of every day, never alone. Would you encourage us with your words today, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, Jamie is gone. Your beloved pastor is gone. And uh, I am here. And I know Jamie well enough to know that it's about 7 o'clock in Wales and you're watching. So hold on a second. Cactus and venue, just hold on a second. Jamie, I know you're watching this. And I've been here for about nine months and I want you to know that the takeover is now complete. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding you. He probably is watching, but we had fun. He asked, he said, hey, I'm going to be going to Wales, going to Europe. Would you help me with this uh, series on what Jesus said about? And he said, you can do justice. And I said, well, that's great. I've got sermons on justice. He said, no, 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 no. You know, I was going through a series on the minor prophets, and God had a problem with his people that so often they were oppressing God's people who were weak and marginalized, and God had a problem with that. And so I had sermons on this, and James said, no, 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 it's what Jesus said about justice. I'm like, oh, really? So I got kind of mad, and he said, no, 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 remember what Jesus said about anger? It's like, oh, it's like, so all week long, I've been so worried about this, uh, you know, dealing with justice. He said, no, 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 remember what Jesus said about worry? And so here we are, justice. And I think about what Jesus said, and his words are, are hard for us to live by. You know, it's easy in, in one sense for us to study doctrine, right? It kind of is titillating to our mind to look at theological principles that I can grasp mentally. But what was the challenge with Jesus? Every time he spoke, he spoke to the heart. So often he spoke in that narrative form where he would cause us to emote with. He'd, he'd pull at something we'd all recognize throughout the day and he'd bring it home and all of a sudden you found your emotions being stirred. You were a part of the story. And just like the Paul Harvey, now you know the rest of the story, he just, bam, hit it home with knowing what was going on in your very heart. And you walked out of there going, wow, that's convicting. This is emotionally stirring in my life and that's what Jesus does. And so we emote with this issue of what did Jesus say about justice? And yet we say that word and realize everybody's into that. It's such the in vogue thing. Movie stars, they love justice. They love to go out and do beautiful things to help people in need. It looks good. It makes them look good. And it is really a beautiful thing to do. We put the word social in front of it many times. And whether it's the plight of the poor, sex trafficking, AIDS, healthcare, labor laws, education, distribution of wealth, racism, whatever your issue du jour is, Justice is a big deal. It's a big deal. And I would argue that though our motivations vary, it's a good thing in many respects because this idea of justice, as I mentioned about the Old Testament, really the whole Bible, kind of a big deal to God. Justice matters. I'm not talking about the kind of social justice where everybody's equal, we have the redistribution of wealth kind of social justice. But what I want to talk about this morning is true biblical justice where you and I get to become instruments of Jesus to help right wrongs. In other words, the very Bible that you have in your hands, this is our standard for true biblical justice. God is that standard. It's a huge issue. 
As I was preparing to talk about justice, I had no shortage of people calling me and saying, hey, I've got thoughts, I've got a book, I've got an idea. And Jamie said, stick to what Jesus said. And there is a lot, it's a big topic. And so today, what I hope to do is really challenge you in this area of justice. Not that you would just simply be sympathetic to it or give a nod, but here's the challenge I have for you today, that the very heart of justice would become a part of your spiritual DNA. And that's the direction I want to go in our time this morning, what Jesus said and what he did with what he said, and then what he calls us to do and to be. And so first of all, if you've got an outline, we didn't get the scripture on it today because we had the voting leadership on the back of that, but uh, it's up here on the screen. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, Jesus declared that this whole idea of justice was actually the reason that he came. He had grown up, and in verse 16, it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll, the prophet Isaiah, was given to him. He enrolled the scroll, and he found the place where these words were written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if that doesn't sound like justice, what does? And he goes on in verse 20, he rolls the scroll up, he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down and all the eyes are fixed on him. You just read from Isaiah, what's up with this? And he began to say, today, what I just read for you has been fulfilled in your hearing, wow. This is the beginning of his ministry, and it says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, words of justice, fulfillment of prophecy, and all spoke well on him. He would go off and he'd begin his very public ministry, and as his ministry began to wane, not with the people, they loved him, but the spiritual leaders began to get a little nervous because though the law came through Moses, the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, had learned to work that system to their benefit. And so when we get later on in Jesus' ministry, the people are loving him, but the leaders are threatening him. And, and we come to Matthew chapter 12, where they're trying to catch him, test him, do whatever, and this issue of the Sabbath comes up. And Jesus, in their minds, desecrates the Sabbath when he heals a man with a withered hand. Right there, on the Lord's day. What are you doing? We pick it up in Matthew 12, 14, where the Pharisees, they're so mad they went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. It says that Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And we see, we see here this words or this purpose reiterated, and behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim, and there's the word, justice. Justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. This word as it's used here really is a double-edged sword and its meaning, it means vindication certainly, but it also has this idea of vengeance, which God says vengeance is mine, I will take care of that. But Jesus models a very biblical form of justice all throughout his life. And ultimately at the end, gave his life to satisfy true justice, wasn't it? On the cross, 
Justice is not a new theme from God. In fact, it's a huge theme throughout all of the Bible. Jesus later would confront the Pharisees and his infamous woes to them in Matthew 23 and in Luke chapter 11. And then there are those of us here this morning, and you're saying, you're talking about justice. When's mine coming? You don't understand my life. I've been oppressed. I've been taken advantage of. My life has not gone the way that I'd hoped it would go. And you feel like you're suffering injustice. And Jesus did speak to that, particularly in the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, where he said, pray. It's about prayer. Never give up. God will bring justice. But we need to remember it's his justice that God brings. And throughout the Old Testament, Israel turning their eyes off of God and still wanting to be called his followers, but they were adding all their own stuff to it. Theologians would call that syncretism, following God and, and blending that with your religiosity. And God had a problem with that. We're susceptible to that too. We come to church and we want to follow God. We want to be all in. And God says, really, do you understand what it means to be all in and not just adding things to it? Justice. It was important then, it's important now, and it's important that you and I, as we come to these pages and learn what Jesus said about justice, that we pay attention to what he has to say to us because we don't want to be defined on the pages of the Bible where God deals in his judgment over the idea of justice. Let me give you a working definition for justice here. As Webster says, it's the quality of being just, impartial, or fair. I mentioned the word has this idea of vindication and vengeance, but in a nutshell, we could sum it all that when Jesus came, he came to right wrongs. And so that's our definition this morning, that justice really is about righting wrongs on a physical, personal, and spiritual level. And in essence, that was, that's what Jesus came to do. And so here's a question for us to wrestle with in our time remaining this morning, and that is, what is our role when it comes to justice today? We see it, how God dealt with it in the Old Testament. We see how Jesus proclaimed it to be his purpose. But what is our role? I mentioned that justice really needs to become part of our DNA. In other words, so much a part of us that when we move and act throughout life, that our response when we see wrongs is to right them naturally within the power that God has given us. That's the real vision. We already know that we're called to be salt, right? Salt of the earth. And we all know what does salt do? Salt certainly protects it certainly flavors. In essence, I always think when I'm in relationship to people, when I leave their presence, I hope I've added value to their lives. I think that's what salt does. Does your life have the DNA of salt? When you meet with people, do you add value to their lives? And I think we also could argue that we're called to have the DNA of light. We're to be carriers of God's truth, is light. When you gather with people, wherever you go in your spheres of influence, do you add light, do you bring truth to people's lives. And I think also, thirdly, I try to live my life by the idea of I'm bringing peace to people. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, was never about world peace. It was all about you and I being the peace. And so when we're in a relationship, do we bring harmony to those relationships or do we bring division and do we bring frustration? We're called to be salt and light and peace. And now I would add that part of our DNA needs to be this idea of justice. Jesus called us to be his ambassadors, to be his hands, to be his feet. That everybody that we see, that we lead them closer to Christ when we've left them, that they would see eternity through us. And so this idea of justice is not about what the Republicans, the Democrats would say, or what the latest issue du jour is out there and how the media is handling that and how we jump on. No, it's God has given you one life. And the power in that life God has given to you, you have a power in you, especially 
Where we're born, we've got to grasp that we have been born in a place not by accident. And God has given you an ability. He's given you a life. He's given you resources. If you're sitting here this morning and maybe you're a single parent with three kids and you're working so hard to make ends meet, you have power. Maybe you're a teacher as 26 crazy students running around under them. You have influence. You have power in your life. We are the wealthiest nation in the wealthiest time on the face of planet Earth right now. And God says, I have given you this so that you might be what I've called you to be, salt, light, peace, and justice. It's interesting that this whole concept of grace flies in the face of justice, Christ laying down his life. Because what does justice really say to all of us? If God was truly just, where would we all be right now? You can't say that in church, <laughs> right? Not here, right? my mom says, H-E double hockey stick, you know, that's where we'd be. But God in his infinite mercy, grace, trumps over justice. We saw it in the story of the prodigal son, the son who goes out and squanders the wealth, comes home and the dad throws a party for him and his son doesn't get it. You see, because justice would say, forget about him, leave him, don't do anything with him. That's fair. That's just. He's got it coming. Yet Jesus said in John chapter 1 and verse 17, well, the law was given through Moses. It allowed for justice in many of those forms. But he said grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You're going to remember, want to remember that, grace and truth, as we continue this morning. Jesus meets the woman at the well and who's been married five different times, and he gives her grace and justice. There's a woman caught in adultery. What a horrible experience. This woman is caught in the very act of immorality and she is dragged off. Isn't it interesting they say nothing about the guy in that story? Tells you something about the culture, doesn't it? The woman is dragged off for what? To receive justice. And in that, that culture, they could stone her, they could take her life. And they bring her, interestingly enough, before Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Right? Let he's without sin cast the first stone. And he looks at the woman and he gives her justice. He doesn't let her get away. He says, go and sin no more. I had a friend of mine visiting who was sharing that story with me. He said, you know what? That's perfect justice, isn't it? It's not political justice. It's perfect justice tempered by this perfect mercy. And it's guided by this perfect truth. You see, that's Jesus' justice. You and I don't need to fear God's justice. God wants to right wrongs in your life too so that you can be part of righting wrongs in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. Justice is demonstrated in our compassion just as Jesus showed compassion. And ultimately, Jesus fulfilled justice for our sin with his death on the cross. So that's what Jesus said. What did Jesus do in his life? I want you to turn to Luke chapter nine in your Bibles. And this is a, a part of the story in Jesus' life. The first uh, eight chapters have covered about 32 and a half years of Jesus' life. The remainder of the entire book of Luke will cover that final part of Jesus' life. This is the part where the music changes. You ever watch a movie and you're getting into the movie and all of a sudden at some part you're kind of getting the theme of it and then the music kind of changes and you feel the tension and you know something's going to happen. That's what's going on in Luke chapter 9. Jesus has had this incredible ministry, and now he's going to make a final journey, a final journey to Jerusalem to which he knows he's not coming back. He understands what's going to happen. He understands that he's going to be betrayed there, that he's going to be tortured, and he's going to be turned over, and that he's going to die. 
Interestingly, all the people who are following him as entourage, they don't seem to get it, even though Jesus is hinting over and over again. And as he prepares for this last trip, he gathers his followers, and in essence, he's going to send out a sort of an advanced team to go to the villages and the towns that he's going to go to on his way to Jerusalem. And it's their job to do one thing, and that is to represent him well. So as we come to the story here in Luke chapter 9, we're not only going to see a little bit of history here of what God asked them to do back then, but I think we're going to see a few principles that we can pull out in our own life and to think about what does God ask us to do today? You see, if you're here and you're sitting in this auditorium this morning and you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, you're an advanced team, aren't you? You are on that advanced team. You've been assigned in your one life that you have to represent Jesus and to represent him well with your actions, certainly, and certainly your words. But this time, Jesus isn't going to go to Jerusalem for his death. Jesus is coming back. He's going to right wrongs once and for all to bring justice and to reward righteousness. And in the meantime, we've been given an assignment, all of us, and that's to represent him. We're not 72, praise God. We are millions strong, aren't we? Amazing truth. The Bible calls you a priesthood of believers. They call you Jesus' hands and feet. You're his ambassadors, little Christ, which is the meaning of Christian, his followers. And in a very real sense, we represent him so much that we bring true justice to the world that we see. And so as we read this passage briefly this morning, I also want you to look at through the lens of Scottsdale Bible Church. This church, everything that we do here, as you come into the parking lot today, many people say, oh, it's so big, there's so much going on. But there's a purpose in everything that happens here at Scottsdale Bible Church. Everything we do is designed internally to equip you to be the church externally. And so I want you to be aware of the ministry of Scottsdale Bible Church and how you can leverage what happens here to get equipped and then to dive into the external ministries to places like Tanzania, to places like the Yavapai School right here in our own backyard. Some of you remember at Christmas time how we raised up some money. We sent a whole bunch of people and blessed a school with kids that are just desperate, hungry kids for education and for food. And we've been a blessing with them and still are partnering with them today. We have a multi-site ministry here as we try to plant other places. Our venue campus and our cactus campus are designed to extend our reach. And the cactus campus has taken over a ministry in their neighborhood called the House of Refuge, which is all about helping people come out of homelessness and get homelessness and get back into mainstream society. But not just that, but to disciple them and help them grow up in their faith. And they're just doing a great job. We have a foster ministry that we mentioned last week. We're going to talk about more in the, in the coming weeks. There's a, a ministry called the Neighborhood Ministry, working with distressed families in the inner city. Alongside ministries is a ministry about helping people when they come out of prison, right here in our own neighborhood, to settle into a healthy and godly life. Some of you might recognize this booklet we handed out around Christmas time that outlines so many opportunities, conduits really, for you to be justice right here in your own backyard. I could go on, I could talk about the Christian Family Care Agency with Living Hope Women's Center, Phoenix Rescue Mission, Matthew 25 Project, holiday seasonal ministries that we do, Helping Hands for Single Moms, Changing Lives Women's Center, Mentor Kids USA, Refugee Ministry, do I need to go on? 
I had people between services telling me about more and more ministries. We partner with groups like Child Evangelism Fellowship and International Student Ministries, Chief Ministries that's designed to help Native and Indigenous peoples right here, the St. Mary's Food Bank, and the list goes on. As you leave here today, you make your way out, you're going to see an opportunity for you to pick up a picture of a child in Tanzania that you can be justice just through some dollars. Some of you will be justice as you go. You're going to meet Berta, who administrates all of our local ministries. She's going to have a pile of these. I encourage you to take another one if you haven't and figure out how can I be a part of this. All conduits for you and for me to be the hands and feet of justice, the hands and feet of Jesus that we're commanded to be. And in a church our size, there is a place for everyone right here sitting here this morning to have an opportunity to be justice in your context in the place in the world around you. Every hour that you volunteer, every dollar that you give is one act of justice, righting wrongs to be part of fulfilling what Jesus came to do. And only God really understands the impact that we'll all have when we put our arms and link our arms together and to do this. You know, many of you know that I've stepped into the role of, of Pat Sullivan who oversees congregational care uh, internally and externally, and I'm learning that that's a big job. I mean, I'm starting to appreciate Pat a lot more. I thought, how hard could that be? Congregational care, pat people in the back, give them a little prayer. You know, it's, it's big. It's overwhelming, in fact. And I wondered if all of us said, boy, how can I be God's instrument of justice in my world? And we just did one thing. That would make my job a lot easier. <laughs> but it's not about me. It's about us being a church that makes a difference in our community. When we go out in the community as God's advanced team, we want to lead people toward Jesus. When we did Park Fest a few weeks ago, it was very strategic. We wanted to simply bless and love your community that you lived in as sort of an advanced effort of bringing people to Christ. It's the reason why Scottsdale Bible Church does the ministries that it does. There are some that we choose not to do because it doesn't fit with what Jesus said back here in Luke chapter 9 when he sent out the 72. And so the story begins with Jesus planning to go to Jerusalem. And I would think that if I was doing a farewell tour, I would want an entire entourage going ahead of, right, for Jesus and saying, he's coming, this is his last chance, last chance. But Jesus does the exact opposite. In the story in Luke 9, 57, he actually thins the herd. And I wondered why he wants less people to go. And I think I know why. I think because Jesus, when he asks people to be his advanced team, he wants us to represent him well. We all know people who have fish on the back of their car Maybe you're one of them. Or you have a bumper sticker. Those aren't bad things, but we've all met people who have fish on their cars and bumper stickers or wear something that says, I'm a religious person, and sometimes we cringe and we say, I'm not sure I want to be aligned with them, right? Do you know people like that? I think that's what's going on here in this story in Luke chapter 9. And so the first thing that Jesus does is he thins the herd. Look at verse 57 of Luke chapter 9, and this is the story of Jesus and his advanced team. It says, as they were going along the road, someone says to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, um, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But do you know what you're getting into? You see, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another one said, well, Jesus said to another, follow me. And he says, well, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... Let me say farewell to those at my home. And then Jesus says these infamous words, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is one of those difficult passages that Jamie talked about a few weeks ago. 
Doesn't sound very Jesus-like, but what's going on here? These are people like you and me. That first person comes and says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. What does Jesus say? Do you know what you're asking? In other words, Jesus is saying, count the cost. Is there a cost to following Jesus today? Absolutely there is, right? There's reward, but there is a cost when it comes to following Jesus in our lives. There's a lot of us that love to run to all the good things. When we sing about Jesus meeting our needs and Jesus being a God who blesses us, we'll run, God, fix my problems. But there's not many of us that want to run our lives, right? The second person says, well, first let me go and bury my father. And he wasn't waiting for a funeral service. Jamie mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Because in that culture, they would bury their dead right away because of disease and so forth. Unlike in our culture, we can wait a long time for people to come. So that wasn't the issue. So what was going on here? His father wasn't dead. In essence, what this guy is saying, Jesus, I want to be all in, but just not right now. Later on. Have you been there in your own life? Jesus thins the herd. He says, now or never. You have a third person who says, well, let me first say farewell to my family. Or the New International Version says, let me go back. And Jesus says, the person who starts off and then says, hold on, I want to go back is not fit for this service. In other words, God said it's not a vending machine kind of thing where you say, let me try this for a little while. Okay, I'm going to put that on hold. I'm going to try this for a little while. No, Jesus says, put your hand on the plow and keep moving forward. When you take it off, that's not what, what I want, who I want to use. And Jesus thins the herd. You see, we all want a Jesus who will fix our problems. And maybe we'll follow him if he gives us some good consulting every once in a while. We all want a Jesus to fix our problems, but we don't want a Jesus to give us any problems, right? We don't want to follow that kind of Jesus. We want to be all in, but as though we need to go and bury our dead, what do we say? We say, Jesus, maybe just wait until I finish school. Have you been there? When I get finished with all this school and I get, my, and I get settled in, then I'm going to be all in for Jesus. And then it's once I build my business up. I just need to get it kind of going. And once my marriage is worked out and then there's kids in there and then there's that financial hole that I need to dig myself out of. You fill in the blank. But we all have this temptation, all of us, to say, God, I get it. I hear the message. I want to be all in. Just not right now. Just not right now. Maybe I'll get back to it. And God says, I have a plan, I have a purpose to right wrongs, and I want to use you, but I don't have to use you. And God thins the herd. Jesus says, that might be the deal you want to make when you sign up to follow me, but it's not the deal I'm making with you. As my old pastor friend used to say, we come to God on God's terms, not our terms. It's not a conditional relationship. Jesus said, this is an all-in deal. It's 24-7, 365 days out of the year. And after he thins this herd, he goes and he sends out this 72 after he made it clear to count the cost, that it needs to be now, and there's no turning back. Look at verse 1 of Luke chapter 10. The rest of the story says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Doesn't sound like the mission trip I'd want to go on. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to the, this house. And if, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. And whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And then get this, heal the sick, 
You might want to circle the word and. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, there's a a clear message here. Jesus says, I want you to go, and I'm going to give you a two-pronged message. It's to meet the needs of people. Be my instruments of justice. In this case, I'm going to give you power to do healing, to do miraculous things, but I want you to meet needs. But the reason I want you to meet needs is because I want you to give them a message. I want you to tell them the truth about me. And then he gives them a laser-like focus in verse 10. He says, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go out into the streets, even the dust, and say this, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, when you go out as my arm of justice, when you go out as salt and light and peace, go to people that are open. Go to the people that are ready. And who are that? That's so often it's the people who are oppressed. It's the people who have walked down the path of their being God and realizing it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work and they're laying out, figuring what in the world do I do, the harvest is ripe. And God says, go to people who will listen. He says, there are people that don't want to hear our message. And that's sad because some of those people are people that we love. And we try to debate them into the kingdom of God. And God says, if they don't receive it, leave. And in essence, he says, that's about as close to heaven as those people are going to get. And that's a frightening thing. We need to pray for those people. But God says, I want you to go where that harvest is. I want you to go where my spirit is moving. And I want you to go and be justice where people are going to respond. Why? Because life, because time is so very short. And it's so important that we understand all this. And when you go, meet needs and bring the truth. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in a few moments. I want you to jump down to verse 16 to to touch on a principle that I think sometimes some of us miss, and that is that when Jesus says, the one who hears you hears me, and when someone rejects you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And and that's pretty important for us to grasp. Sometimes we think they don't listen. We think, what have I done? We're just called to live truth, to meet needs, and, and give truth, so much as we understand that. And basically, it's just telling our story. Some people think I've got to get a theological degree before I do that. No, Jesus says just be who you are. Be salt, be light, be peace, and be justice. For the blind man that Jesus healed, that was his only story. I don't know what happened. I was blind a minute ago, and now I see. A couple pages later in the Bible, thousands are coming to hear Jesus' message because of that one testimony. God gives us the same role, but when people reject us, they're rejecting God. And then in verse 17, he clarifies what they're doing. It says that the 72, they go out and they return with joy. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, (laughs) hold on a second. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Then we see that word nevertheless makes us wake up. Okay, there's something really important here, a clarifying statement. Do not rejoice in this. Talk about a wet blanket that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't forget what the real issue is. I mean, we love to see God move in powerful ways, and, and that's a good deal. I love to be used. If you've been used by God when you walked away, and you're like, wow, that's cool. Maybe I'm meeting the needs of children in Tanzania. Maybe I'm part of one of the ministries here. Maybe I just met somebody in the course of my life, and I've been a blessing to them. That's a cool thing. Maybe I've prayed with somebody and God healed them. That's awesome. And God says, those are good. Those are powerful things. I'm going to equip you to do that. 
But in a hundred years from now, none of that's going to mean anything. The only thing that will matter is where you're going to spend eternity. That's why we're to meet needs and be justice, to bring them the truth of Jesus' message to us. And for us to be that advanced team today, we need to understand this. We need to understand the principles that God has given us. And I think there are three things in your outline that I think are important for us to grasp in order for us to be that advanced team and represent Jesus well. And there are three things that you know. One of them is what we call the great commandment. We find it in Matthew 22, 34 through 40, where Jesus is asked that question, what's the greatest commandment? Wow, I can't think of a more powerful passage. Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And, and the second one, he says, it's like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, everything hangs on that. Some of you, that might be what you need to hear today because that's to individuals, that we need to love God and love people. We can't go out and just bring justice if we don't love God, if we don't know him personally, we can't be instruments of justice. So we don't understand what it means to surrender fully to God, to fall in love with this God, to the point we say, your commands are not burdensome to me. I want to obey you, not because I have to, because, oh, it's so good to do that. And then I find that my heart begins to turn. I begin to see people, not just my own stuff. I begin to long to be a blessing to people. It's a great commandment that God gives. And if we're to be his advanced team, we need to understand that. I think we need to understand, secondly, the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything. That whole idea of discipleship isn't just getting people to sign up for God, to walk an aisle, pray a prayer, raise your hand, sign a card. It's good to, for people to make a decision, but the command in the great commission is for us to make disciples which means we want people to come to know Christ and then we want to help them mature in their faith by understanding God's word and to walk in obedience. It's not complete until people are walking in obedience until we make disciples. So if we want to be Jesus' advanced team and represent him well, we need to understand that we have a great commandment to love God and love people and then we have a great commission corporately to go out and make disciples of all nations from our local neighborhood all the way to Tanzania and beyond and to help them grow up to full maturity in Christ. And the last one is the great priority Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus says, to do this as my advanced team, I'm going to equip you just like he did with the 72. I'm going to give you a power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come upon you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Scottsdale, in Arizona, and on beyond, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it begins in Scottsdale. It begins right where you live. And it goes out to the area that we live, and then it goes cross-culturally. You see, Samaritans, as many of you know, were the Jewish half-breeds. They had enmity with their brothers, the Jews and the Samaritans, for hundreds and hundreds of years because the Samaritans, they believed, had sold out. And Jesus goes to make his point about justice through the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? When the Samaritan's the hero in the story, and that would get the Jews emoting, wouldn't it? And Jesus says, you missed the whole point about the law. Love your God and love your neighbor. Be my instruments of justice. Sometimes I think we get it backwards and we get all excited about going on overseas missions, which is great. We're really showcasing Tanzania. I hope you go out here today and I hope you pick up a child and say, I can give some justice dollars and send them that way. I hope you do. But so often, we get excited about going somewhere and I think I know why. Because it's easy to go away for two weeks. It's exciting to get on a plane, to go somewhere. If we get a little tired, we can you know, retreat a little ways. If we go on the trip with some grumpy people, I can put up with grumpy people for two weeks. But you don't know my neighbor, right? You've got a neighbor right next door to you, and guess what? They're going to be there when you go home today. They might be there tomorrow, and they're probably going to be there next year. 
And they speak English. And you don't have to take a plane to go there. And so often, our neighbors would have no idea that we have this truth as an advanced team for them. And we can't miss this when it comes to justice. And that is that it begins with the needs that are right around us before we pursue the needs that are around the world. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we need to be a little salt shaker here that never goes out anywhere. I think we need to do that. I think that's obvious. But what I am saying, that if we put all of our attention and all our prayer and all our resources on going out to make a difference for Jesus out there, and we're not making a difference right here in our own lives, Jesus is saying we've missed the assignment where it begins. Justice starts right here before it goes out there. I don't think we're supposed to become a little holy huddle here at Scottsdale Bible Church where we come out every week and we learn a little bit more about the Bible and we're inspired. And then we love some people that are way far away, maybe overseas. Because what a tragedy if no one around here knows that we exist. Nobody knows. Or maybe they don't even care because we've never touched lives locally. What a horror. And we've never told people the truth that live right next door to us. See, there's a divine God-given priority in our lives. And let me leave you with just two things that I mentioned on earlier, and that is what did Jesus, um, doing what Jesus said. A couple of things. One that's not on your outline, this idea of justice, as a side note, it's always best done together as a church. Jesus um, never went into a town. He went into a town, he took a team of people with us. He sent people out two by twos. There is so much that we are doing. I love what Jamie said. He's so proud of this church. You guys are, are doing it very, very well. But I want to encourage you to stay the course, or as Fred said, to sustain you, to keep going in all of this. And here's two final important things I think we need to understand if we're to be the advanced team in the culture that we live in today about justice. And the first one is this, that justice without Jesus has no eternal value. Justice without Jesus has no eternal value. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, he said it this way, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give and return for his soul? And it's a beautiful thing to give justice. I'm not saying that we need to go out and, and uh, dip, you know, try to bait people into the kingdom. Hey, I'll give you a meal if you listen to the gospel. <laughs> I'm not saying those kinds of things, but I am saying that when we go and meet needs of people, that we do what the apostle Paul did. And that when he went out, he prayed that God would open doors for them. And he prayed that God, when you open doors, that you would give us the words to say. Some of you feel like you can't do it, but trust me, if you're following a God, he empowers you to do it. It's not about you anyways. And so as we go out to be justice, remember that we need to look for, pray for, that God would give us an open doors, not just to right wrongs, but also to give the message of truth to people who desperately need to hear it. And here's the last thing, and that is that Jesus, without justice, has no credibility. Think about it. Jesus without justice. There are churches that will just preach Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He loves you. He feels good. Come on out. It's all good, good, good. It's like mushy sentimentality. It goes nowhere. We don't really help people if we only love them but don't give them the truth. Conversely, if we just give them the truth but we don't give them love, that's brutality. So let me encourage you. The justice without Jesus has no eternal value. And Jesus without justice has no, no credibility. We are called to be the advanced team of God to represent him well. That's our calling today. He's not going to Jerusalem to die, but he's going to come back one day to right all wrongs. Like the songs that we're singing, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord.
God has given us one life, one place. He's given resources. He's wired you in such a way, and he's put a lot in front of you to say, what path are you gonna walk down? Because whatever one, if you're faithful to me, I'm gonna use you. There are some of you here this morning, you're saying, but you don't understand my story. I am the oppressed. I am the marginalized. And I wanna challenge you to think about that. Think about where you live. Think about who you are. And you may have had wrongs done to you. And one of the things that Jesus reminds us is that he does see that. God does see everything. He knows when injustice has been done to you. He understands. Hagar called out to him in the wilderness and he responded to her. The the widow, the persistent widow came and God responded. And so we need to pray as a persistent widow did. We also need to trust that justice comes in the way that God designs it to come. But he gives us a peace that Paul said passes all understanding when we fix our eyes on him and we think about and we meditate on God and we live our lives for him. I want to close by reading a verse from, actually from one of the minor prophets who dealt with this issue of injustice. It was Habakkuk. And don't tell Jamie, I, I went outside of the, the, what Jesus said here, so it's our little secret. But in Matthew chapter, or Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 16, the um, nation, God's people, have been oppressed, they've been ev- invaded, and Habakkuk is asking them to, God to protect, and God says, I will, I'm gonna write that injustice. The only problem was that he never did it in Habakkuk's lifetime. You can read Hebrews chapter 11, all these people that never saw God's justice in the form of his finality coming. They never saw that. In Hebrews 11, all the people of renowned and old, they didn't see Jesus in the new covenant, but they trusted God anyway. And I love what Habakkuk says. He says, I, I hear this. This is Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, and I will wait quietly. I will wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And we know now it never came. And he said this in verse 17. Okay, God, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, get this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on my high places. You see, Habakkuk knew that his name was written in heaven and he took refuge in that. Everything else in this life is is just gravy that God gives us, that we respond to him faithfully in the best way that we can. Righting wrongs in the worlds in which we live. God's given you one life to do it. He's given you the opportunity. We stand before him someday Will you be able to say to us, thank you for being my instruments of justice? Let me pray for us and then we'll send us out and thank you for coming. Father, justice, so hard to understand. And yet I thank you that you clarified so much of it in your words to us. And I pray that as we leave here today that we would be challenged with the idea that we have a DNA that is not our own. That you said, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, new things have come. We agree with Isaiah that you are a God who every day does new things. We agree with the limitations that says your mercies are new every morning. Father, you're a God who provides. You're a God who fills us in such a way that not only do you take care of us, but you use us. And I thank you that you're willing to use any one of us. So Lord, would you fill us with your strength, fill us with a sense of passion and compassion to bring your message of justice and helping, but also the message of truth to the whole world 
beginning with where we have opportunity. We bless and strengthen us to that end, we ask in your son's name. Amen.